Well, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If you are joining us in Amped, if you're in Blend, Roan County, or uh, Bearden, that's like there's another one. Online, glad you're with us. Uh, we have been in a series called Building Faith, where we've actually been looking at Abraham's interactions with God and how Abraham's faith has been built as he interacts with God. And we've seen that God is the one who initiates our faith and, and our faith grows through experience over time. And we've seen Abraham as he journeys that he, his faith grows because of God's character and God's trustworthiness. And I want to remind us that the goal is never to be like Abraham. We don't read Abraham's story and go, ah, I want to be like Abraham. The goal is that we learn who God is as we watch Abraham journey with God. We learn things about God, and the goal is to be like what? Jesus. Who, who said that the answer of Jesus is, and Jesus is always the answer in church. It's like, hey, we're going to be like Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation have you ever been in a situation where you ask yourself this question? I wonder how this is going to turn out. Have you ever been in those situations? I mean, sometimes those situations can be very serious, and I don't want to minimize it. Uh, I've got a friend that, that just received a diagnosis, and I think the question that they might be asking is, I, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Because it can be a very serious question. If you're a student in here, and I remember being a kid, and there's times that I would be taking a test, and I'm like sitting there going, I wonder how this is going to turn out. You know what I'm talking about? Well, my, my family, we love to boat. We're boating people. We love to be out on the lake. And you know what they say about a boat? It stands for bust out another thousand, and that is true. And, and, but we love it, and we do it, and we go, and my kids love being behind the boat. And so my son and I, my son Eli, he's 11 now, but at the time he was 10, we were watching a YouTube video. And we saw this, this husband and wife surfing behind the boat, and this is what they did. They got up surfing behind the boat, and, and the wife was kind of standing between the husband's legs here, and then the wife crawled up while they were surfing, climbed up the husband, and got on the shoulders of the husband while they were surfing. And my son looks at me and goes, Dad, we got to try that. And I looked at him, I said, yes, we do. So next time we're out, he's like, dad, it's time. And I said, okay, let's go. And so we, but then I get in the water and I'm starting to think, I wonder how this is going to work out. And so we get up and he's, and he hasn't hit like his full growth spurt. He's like getting taller and leaner and this kind of stuff. And so we get up and, and he's surfing between me and I'm hanging onto the rope. Next thing I know, he's spider monkeying up me. And it's like, I'm trying to hold on. I can't really see what's happening. And I feel him climbing. He's on my shoulder and I'm just trying to hang on. And next thing I know, he's up on my shoulders and we're surfing. We're doing it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Excellent. That's how this is turning out. We're surfing down the lake. He's up on my shoulders and we're cruising. And then it's like, oh, I'm tired now. So I drop and the boat pulls around. My daughter, who is a year older than him, Addison is in the boat and she goes, well, dad, I want to try that. <laughs> I went, okay, now here's the difference, okay? Eli hadn't hit his growth spurt yet. 
He still kind of got the young man, kid, agile thing. Addie is basically a woman now, hit her growth spurt, and she's all legs. And so we get up on the surfboard, and I'm thinking, I wonder how this is going to work out. And so she, we start surfing. She's standing there. Next thing I know, she starts climbing. And she, I mean, there's a leg wrapped around this, and there's another leg over this way, and there's arms that are feeling on my face, and I can't see anything. And I'm thinking, I wonder how this is going to work out. I know exactly how this is going to work out. She gets stuck. She's like halfway up, legs wrapped around me. Next thing you know, we're just in a great big cannonball in the lake. And then she does this. We pop up and we're laughing. And she goes, let's try that again. <laughs> I said, I don't think so. It worked out just how I thought it was going to work out. In our passage today, in Genesis chapter 24, I think there was a few times that Abraham and maybe even the servant of Abraham that we're going to read about asked the question, I wonder how this is going to work out. And we're going to see as as the servant goes and he's going to go look for a a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. and, And there was times where he's going, I don't know about this. But here's what we're going to see through our passage today. It's our big idea. Our faith, the faith of Abraham's servant, the faith of Abraham, is built on God's faithfulness. Our faith is built on God's faithfulness. And oftentimes we think, well, it's our faith, and so we have to conjure up our ability. After all, it's, it's my faith, and so it, I have to do it. But it should be really encouraging that our faith isn't meant to be blindly trusting someone. It's built upon what God has revealed about who God is. And what we're going to see is God is faithful. God is faithful. And as we continue to see God do what he says he will do, as he continually shows up and does again and again and again the things he says he does, guess what? It builds our faith. It gives us confidence today to trust him for the tomorrow. So as we jump in, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 24 is where we are. You can turn on your smartphone. It'll be up on the screen behind you. It says this, and I love the Bible. Listen to the first four words. Now, Abraham was old. They don't mince words in the Bible. They're like, Abraham, man, that that brother be old. And then they kind of soften it a little bit. Well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to a servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. He said, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you'll go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, And from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, he's going to send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you're going to be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. 
So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, there are some things in here. This covenant that Abraham makes with his servant about putting the hand under the thigh, uh, really there's not a lot of historical precedent to it, but here's what we do know. It, it, was, it was intimate and it was serious. And it was an oath that they made. And Abraham said, listen, here's the deal. You need to go back to my homeland to find a wife for my son, Isaac. Here's what Abraham knew. Abraham knew the promise of God. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was 75 years old in Genesis chapter 12 when God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, and here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have this land that I'm going to show you. You're going to have descendants, numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and you will be a blessing. You're going to be a blessing to all peoples everywhere. I am going to bless you, Abraham. Abraham, as a 75-year-old, knew the promise of God, and we see throughout his life that as he walked with God, he stumbled. He didn't get it exactly right, but we see something here in Genesis chapter 24 that Abraham begins to fully, more, not more fully, not fully, more fully understand the very promise of God. We, we're going to see, we don't know exactly how old he is here, but in the next chapter, Genesis 25, Abraham dies and he's 175. So at this point, Abraham has been walking with God 40, 50, 60 years maybe. And what's happened is he's walked with God. He, he has known and repeated again and again and again the promise of God. And he's been seeing the promise of God fulfilled in some ways. He is in the land. But I think there's times in Abraham's mind that he goes, this promise of God is barely hanging on by a thread. I really wonder how this is really going to turn out. We're in the land. And he, why is he so adamant? Don't send my son back. He's going, we're barely hanging on to this land, this section that we have right now. And we know God is going to expand it, but we're barely hanging on to the land. And why is it so important that Abraham says, go back to my homeland to find a wife for my son. Because Abraham knows that this promise that God has made is to be a new people. And so if, Abraham, if Isaac takes a wife from the Canaanites in whose land they were, what will happen is Isaac will just be engulfed in the culture of the Canaanites and the very people that God, this very nation that he is establishing, could get swallowed up and the promise would be swallowed up in it. And Abraham knows that. As Abraham has walked with God, now faithfully throughout the years, Abraham's mind has been transformed to have the mind of God. And this is our story as well. We are transformed as we walk with God over time. We're transformed as we walk with God over time. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that you start to become like those you spend the most time with? You know what I'm talking about? Like when I was a little kid, um, who did I spend the most of my time with? Well, it was my mom and dad. And so as you get, grow up in your household, you begin to know your parents. 
And you begin to know, like, like if, you're, if your parents say your middle name, you know you're in real trouble. You know what I mean? David Allen? And then I was like, oh, my brother would be like, you're in trouble. And I'm like, yep. And, but, but the more you know somebody, the more that you realize what makes them mad and what makes them happy. And we would be in situations where we'd be in a public place. And as a parent now, I totally understand this. In a public place, you can't really get mad at your kids in the same way that you would in a private place. But, but here's something I did know. And all moms have it. It's a gift that God gave you the moment you became a mom. It's called the mom look. You, you know exactly what it is, and all the moms are like, I don't have that. Yes, you do. It's called the mom look. And we'd be in a place, and I'm like, ooh, I got the mom look. You're in trouble. It's a gift that God gives you. Now, the most, the most significant relationship I have in my world, in my life now, is, is with my wife. She's the closest one. And the more I hang out with my wife, the more I know her. The more I know what makes her happy. The more I know what kind of makes her mad. The more I just know her. And so we can be in a place, and there's times where she'll give me a look, and I'm like, yep, time to go. It's time to get out of here. There's times where it's like somebody will ask me, hey, Dave, do you want to come over? We'll, we'll go hang out. We'll go see a movie, whatever. There's times that I know that it's better not even to ask the question to my wife. Why? Because I know her. I know what makes her happy. I know what makes her mad. Because why? I've spent time with her. And the, more, the same is true in our relationship with God. The more we spend time with God, the more we begin to understand how God works the more we begin to understand what his mind is like, the more we begin to understand how he thinks and the way he acts and the way he responds. And so we, our mind becomes transformed so that it becomes more like the mind of Christ. I like the way Paul writes it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Over time, as we seek God in his word, as we talk to God in prayer, I, I love, if you were here last week, you saw Jeff Blunt's video up on the screen. And he was a, a, an older gentleman who received Christ and, and they prayed for him and the lady that was praying for him was like, he's in there now, now you go talk to Jesus. And he goes, and that's what I did. I went home and I talked to Jesus. And you know what he did? He talked back. And the more we spend time interacting with God through his word, through prayer, the more that we begin to understand him, the more that our mind becomes transformed by him so that like Abraham, there may be times, what's fascinating in the first nine verses of chapter 24, it never says that Abraham stopped and asked God. He never stopped and prayed. Why? Was he being sinful? No, he knew God. He knew the way God worked. He knew what God was doing in the situation. And so he acted. And the more we spend time with God, the more our mind becomes transformed by God so that we really, by second nature, start doing the will of God in our everyday life. Following Jesus is all about allowing him to transform who we are over time. And the more we engage with him, the more we will be transformed by him. The story continues in verse 10. 
It says, then the servant, so at this point, Abraham said, you need to go. So the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had ever known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant came to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord. The God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So here is, here's the deal. The, the Abraham made a covenant. Hey, go back to my homeland. So the servant takes all these camels, 10 camels, and he's heading to... I mean, this is a far journey. This is hundreds of miles, and he's going, and I think he had to have been thinking, I wonder how this is going to work out. He's probably thinking, how do, how do I know? How do I know if this woman is the one to whom Isaac should be married? And so he comes up with a plan, and he begins to, and he begins to pray, and his prayer looks something like this. God if I say, give me a drink, and she says, sure, here's a drink, and let me water your camels, then this is how I know that you're in this. Now, I want to pause here for one second because I think this is really important for us to remember. We always read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the New Testament. This example of prayer here is not an example to us as followers of Jesus of how we should pray. Okay, we don't look at this and go, well, God did it. And so that means that's how we should pray. No, 
There are a couple examples of this kind of what we call oracle-type prayers. God, if, you do this, if I do this, then you do that, then that's how I know. It's kind of this oracle-type prayer. There's a few examples in scriptures of it. There's an example here. There's an example of Gideon with a fleece. And he lays it on the ground. He says, if the fleece is wet and the ground's dry, then I'll know you're in it. And then he says it again. He says, well, let's flip it. If the fleece is dry and the ground's wet, then I'll know you're in it. Here's the deal. When those prayers are prayed, it's prayed at a point of history where God has not fully revealed himself and who he is. And so people are learning to interact with this God. And so this servant, he, he comes from a polytheistic background, if all, I mean, that's more than likely his case. And he's just seen his servant, his master, Abraham, do this. And so he's like, well, I guess I'm going to interact with God. Maybe this God will show me. But here's the reality of where we are. We live in a time where we have the revelation of Jesus Christ through his word. We know who God is. We know how he works. We know how he interacts with his creation. We have his word. And even more than that, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So we can interact with God on a day-to-day basis and ask for guidance, and the Holy Spirit responds. So we don't pray oracle prayers. And some people are like, well, we don't do that. Well, we kind of do. If we get a diagnosis that we don't like and somebody's on their deathbed, we pray, God, if you would just heal them. And, and, we, and we turn it into this, that if, they, if God decides to heal them, then somehow we found favor with God. But if God didn't heal them, I, was, I mean, it was a horrible situation. This one time I was a youth pastor and a football player just dropped on the sideline. Basically brain aneurysm kind of thing just dropped. And we had this prayer vigil thing at the church and because we were right next to it and a youth pastor got on stage and he said and I couldn't I mean hundreds of students there and this youth pastor in town got up on stage and he looked at all these students and said if your job is to pray and God will heal him if you pray and I'm standing in the back of the room going oh my goodness I'm like cut the mic it was an oracle prayer God If you do this, if we do this, then you'll do this. And what it does is it pushes God in a corner. And can we just tell you, God can do whatever God wants to do. And sometimes that will mean healing, and sometimes it might mean that the person passed away. In this situation, this young man lived, but he's he's hurting. He's not the same. So we never put God into a corner. We, ne- we don't pray oracle prayers. We interact with God by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so what happens? This guy, this is what he does. He goes, he's going, how is this going to work out? And he goes and he comes up with a plan and he says, God, God, I'm going to ask for water. And if the woman voluntarily decides to water my camels. Now, you got to understand something culturally. The women would have come out, and the average size of their jar would have been about three gallons. 
And so it would have been culturally normative if there was a stranger at the well and the stranger said, can I have some water? It would have been culturally normative for that woman to go, absolutely, here's water. So the servant goes, that can't be the sign. It's got to be something more. And he says, if she decides to water my camels, well, scholars tell us that a camel who has been traveling for a couple days who hasn't had water can drink up to 25 gallons in their next thing, in their next drinking, they can drink up to 25 gallons at one time. He has 10 camels. We're looking at potentially 250 gallons of water. And so the, the guy goes, hey, can I get a drink? And Rebecca comes and she says, yes, and let me water your camels as well. This was an extraordinary task with a three-gallon bucket of water. She had to make probably upwards of almost 100 trips to, to water the camels. But here's what I find most fascinating about this. This whole thing is that God is moving even before we are aware. God's moving even before we are aware. Here's this servant, and he's traveling to this far land, and he's probably thinking, how is this going to work out? He comes up with a plan. God, this is how I know that you're in this. And, he's, and it says that before he had finished praying, look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, what does it say? Behold, Rebecca. Rebecca was already on her way to the well even before the servant was done praying, God, this is how I know. God was already moving, already stirring in Rebecca's heart to have her go to the well at that time. God was already moving and stirring in her heart to say, hey, water the camels. God was already moving. The servant was just catching up to what God was already doing. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement and hope. That by the time I actually pray something that God has put on my heart, he's already out in front of it, moving, stirring, working in it. It was April of 2019. It was a Friday of April 2019. My family and I, we were living in San Diego. We were just going through life. I was working at a church, and, and things were good. And... and um, my wife, she had been looking at houses in Knoxville. And honestly, she would like show me a house. And this is back when houses were cheaper before all the Californians moved out here and jacked everything up. And um, it was back when houses were when you could look and you're like, oh, look at that. You can have that house out here. And, and I was getting sick of it. Honestly, I was getting tired of it. And so it was a Friday in April of 2019. We're in the kitchen. The kids are at school. I'm getting ready to do yard work. It's my day off. And, and she looks at me and she said, hey, Dave, I really think we need to consider Knoxville. I think we need to look at churches in Knoxville. And I remember I looked. I was tired of it. And so I snapped back. And, and her parents used to live out here. And they used to live out on the lake. And we'd come visit them. And it was great. But they had moved back to San Diego. There was nobody out here. And I was tired of all the, look at this house. Look at this house. And so finally I looked at her and I said, you know we would be all alone. Without even blinking, she looked at me and says, you know we can't stay here. And I remember in that moment going, oh, dang, like, <laughs> wow. And so she left, and she was running some errands, and God began to stir in my heart in that moment. And I'm sitting there going, God, I, 
there's some seriousness to the things she's saying, but I don't even know how to even go about this. And God was stirring in my heart to a point where he said, reach out to two rivers. And, and here's the thing. My in-laws used to go to this church. And so when we would come out here on vacation, we would go, I would sit right over there. I remember looking out that window on vacation back in like 2010, 2011. We had heard of this church. I had actually applied for a high school position back in like 2011. So I had interacted like one time with anybody on staff at Two Rivers. And so I'm sitting in the backyard about to mow my grass, and I'm like, I'll just reach out to Two Rivers. So I sent an email, and I said, hey, we talked like many, many years, seven years ago, eight years ago. I don't even know if you remember me. I don't even know what's going on out there. I had no clue what God was doing here. But I just think that we have an affinity for Knoxville. I'm just curious of what's going on in the churches out there. Within an hour, I had gotten a reply back. Hey, do you know what's going on here at Two Rivers? Um, we're actually going to be looking for a campus pastor position. We remember you. Would you be interested in that? And next thing I know, I'm like, um, may, maybe. And they said, hey, we're, we're working with a, a search associate company called Nancy Moore, NL Moore and Associates. And so could you get a resume over to her? And, and I'm sitting there going, I don't even have a resume. I have nothing and by that evening, I was in contact with N.L. Moore, and I was already, she was asking me for references. She was asking me for all this stuff. And I remember sitting down at dinner that night, and I'm like, Marissa, um, remember when you said, like, hey, I think we should consider Knoxville? And she goes, yeah. I'm like, it might be in play. Fast forward, I accepted this job basically three years ago to the day. And as I was reading this passage, I couldn't help but think of that story of going, God, I had no clue what was going on at Two Rivers Church, Knoxville. No clue. And all of a sudden, you're stirring in my heart. And when I even, I didn't even know what to pray, but you were already moving ahead of me. You were already working. You were already stirring. And so when I finally prayed something, you were already so far out and ahead of me that I was just playing a little bit of catch-up to what you were already doing. It's incredible that by the time we actually pray something, by the time God lays it on our heart to pray, he's already doing something. Think about your three-by-five card. We asked you months ago, to say, hey, take, ask God for three to five names that you can be praying for, for people who don't know Jesus. Ask God, who are three to five names? Can I just tell you something? When God gave you those three to five names, he's already doing something. He's already working in their hearts. You yourself didn't just write down a name and God wasn't up there going, what did they write that name for? Like, now I gotta do something. Like, God has already been moving. He, uh, he gave you those names to pray for. And you might be sitting there going, I'm praying for my three by five, and God's not doing anything. Keep praying. Keep going. Keep persevering in it. Why? Because God's moving. God's working. God is out in front of it. The story concludes. We're going to skip over because the story actually just basically repeats itself. So they head to Rebecca's house, 
and the brother and the mother and stuff are there, and they're like, what happened? And the story basically just repeats itself. So I'd encourage you, go back, read it for, for time's sake. We don't have time this morning to, to reread through it. And so Rebecca decides to go, and she loads up with her servant, and they get on the camels, and they start riding back home. And it says in verse 63, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And this is fascinating. It's just a little interesting. The servant said, It wasn't Abraham. It was Isaac. And the servant said, That's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Here's what's absolutely amazing, is that I think Abraham at times was going, I wonder how this promise is going to work out. I'm in the land. I have a descendant, a son of promise. He's not married, and I have no grandkids. And so he sends his servant out, and the servant comes back, and Isaac gets married to Rebekah. And it makes me see this, that God is absolutely faithful to carry out his promises. God is absolutely faithful to carry out his promises. And, and the, the thing is, that's true for us. That as we engage with God through his scripture and we read the promises that God will never leave you or forsake you. We can take it to the bank. Why? Because it's a promise he made and God is absolutely faithful to carry out his promise. Promises to prepare a place for those who are in Christ. That's what Jesus said in John. Hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So what's that? That's a promise. And then he says what? And if I go to prepare a place for you, what's the promise? I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and get you. We have these promises of God that if God has said it, he will do it. He is absolutely faithful. And here's the reality of that, is that the past faithfulness of God, when we look at his past faithfulness, it gives us confidence for current faith in him. Past faithfulness calls for current faith to walk in the steps that he's called us to do. So what do we do with this this week? What are some next steps as we, as we seek to live this out? The first one is this, is that we called you as a church last weekend, and we're going to keep going with it. Do the live it out section in your bulletin. Do it. Why? Because if we are to know God, if we're to know him, if we're to know his promises, then we engage with God. By his word, we engage with him through prayer. And we understand that the more we engage with him, the more he transforms our mind into the mind of Christ so that we begin living and doing the will of God as second nature, as who we are. Why? Because we've been so transformed by Jesus. Live it out. The next thing, and I'm, this is going to be specific, tomorrow, or you can do it today. Today or tomorrow. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Make a list recounting all the times that God has been faithful to you in the past. Make a list. 
So on Tuesday, we get together in what we call sermon planning meeting. There's a whole group of us. And so uh, I was teaching this weekend. So I get up and I kind of lay out an outline and I say, here's where I'm thinking of going. And people speak into that. They're like, that's dumb. That's good. This is, and we go through it. We try to pay our dumb tax ahead of time. And then we get to next steps. And I said, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, I, not that far yet. I don't have next steps. And here's something you need to know about Tim Bubar. Tim Bubar is a list guy. He has all sorts of lists in his phone. He has a list in his phone called Perfect Songs. I'm like, Tim, what's a perfect song? He's like, this one's a perfect song. This one's, I'm like, that's weird. Okay. But one of the lists he has in his phone is the times that God has been faithful. And so we start talking about this message and he goes, I think I think you should ask people to make a list. And I said, well, of course you think that, Tim, because you're the list guy. And he goes, I can't tell you how many times it's been encouraging for me to look back at all the times God has been faithful in my life. And I went, okay, Tim, you're on to something. And so here I am asking you, make a list. Remember back all the times. And here's the thing, don't just remember it, write it down. Write down all the times that God has been faithful to you in the past. And here's, what, here's the third next step. It goes right along with it. The rest of the week, whether you do this on today or tomorrow, so either Monday or Tuesday through the rest of the week, review the list. Go through the list. Why? Because the more that we've seen and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in, in the past, it will give us the courage that we need to walk faithfully into the unknown of what God is calling us into. So when we ask the question, I wonder how this is going to work out, we can know and trust that God has been faithful in the past, and because of that, I can have full confidence in who God is, knowing he's going to be absolutely faithful in the future. Review the list. But because God has been so faithful, I can't think of a better way to respond than to worship. And so here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you to stand up in, in here and live. If you're uh, in one of the other venues, campuses, I'm going to ask all of us to stand up, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship this God who is faithful. So God, thank you that you are absolutely faithful. Even when we're not faithful, you are. Thank you that you will see your promises to fruition. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.